Welcome to the Idle Book Club. This month we're discussing The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. This is the Idle Book Club for January 2013. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vanneman. I'm Jake Rodkin. And I'm Nick Brecken. And this month we're talking about The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, really briefly, to introduce Nick, who hasn't been on this podcast before, he is a good friend of ours who used to be on a different podcast we do called Idle Thumbs, which is about video games. He was in San Francisco for a few days, and we figured we'd have him on the cast to help discuss the book with us. Hey, Nick. Hey. Welcome. You Thank love you. the book. I do. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Also, that's, that's you, actually, flew, you were going to fly out. You have other business, but you were going to fly out just for this. It was which primarily is really exciting. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that, that connects to why we chose this book. This is uh, a book that I think most of us hadn't read since high school, perhaps. Yeah. Certainly that was yeah. the case with me. Um, and we'd found ourselves dis- – it somehow found its way into discussions we'd had over the last several years. And now that we're actually doing a podcast devoted exclusively to literature, we figured why not – go ahead and use this as an excuse to just read this book again. Well, is anyone else's copy of the book literally their copy from like 10th grade English class? Because yep. mine still says 6th <laughs> period Jake Rodkin in like block letters that kind of look oh, like man. the Super Mario Brothers font. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. My, mine, mine is, but it's, uh, it's in a box somewhere. So I just, I, re- oh, okay. I rebought it on, on uh, Kindle. But uh, the, yeah, the, the hard okay. copy I own is also the same one. That this I is completely outside of grade. literary discussion, but isn't it insane that there's no like really nice Gatsby edition out hard there? I went looking yeah. for yeah, I also, they don't yeah, exist. They don't exist. Well. Yeah. I was really sad. Yeah. It's really a bummer. Yeah. yeah. And now it'll be, you know, the major motion picture version, which. Oh man, uh, I love Leo right on the cover. Yeah. That was another reason we decided to do this now, actually similar to Cloud Atlas. We wanted to get our discussion out before the next big film adaptation. We'll try to make not make a habit of doing that because it no. feels like yeah that can and be really we, tiring. We, we probably shouldn't even discuss the. We movie should announce that, that the point. Hobbit will be. No. <laughs> <laughs> we actually missed the film's already out now. So uh, uh, yeah. but, no, but the, 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 the back of the half of the Hobbit, oh, right, yeah, the yeah, second right. half of the Hobbit, it was the only book. Yeah. 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 So so the Great Gatsby. So this is a book uh, set in New York, basically uh, in the the Roaring Twenties. Uh, it's set on a, what is essentially Long Island, but divided into these fictional uh, East Egg and West Egg. Um, these kind of, I guess, sort of old money and new money yeah. um, divisions of this very, um, very uh, wealthy area. And um, affluent is what I was looking for. And it's a, uh, narrated by Nick Carraway, who has come to the big city from the Midwest and finds himself among the swirling society world of the incredibly wealthy. Uh, he meets the titular character, Jay Gadsby, and uh, who is a... As well, he's find, great. He, yeah. And he's pretty great. <laughs> you can't deny it. I don't know how much of the, the plot we want to... We don't want to get mired in the... Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a very me. plotty book, right? Like, yeah. everything kind of... <clears throat> So it's, so it's for, we'll do we'll deal with that as we get to it. I suppose. It is, actually, yeah. Did I anybody did, I did just, too. Did anybody not? Does anybody not like this book? I really enjoyed it. I really really like it quite a lot. I like it to a kind of ridiculous degree. 
I think knowing that made me want to not like the book reading it, but then I just absolutely I kind of felt the same way. <laughs> well, I, I was like, okay, I, I need actually, to really. I, I, I had a similar experience no, going into it knowing that it was one of my favorites. I started to criticize it more heavily, and I thought maybe by the end of this I'm going to, you know, because it is very plotty. Yeah. And so I started to, you know. And it's kind of plotty in a, in a, well, in a fairly contrived way. It is. And yeah. it starts so strongly. That that I figured, well, once it gets into the plot, it's going to get mired in sort of, you know, extraneous detail that I'm not that interested. No, it's, it's well, that's it's the, that's the thing. That, right. right. So that's the thing that makes it work. Right. Is that even you'd think you'd think to read it because F. Scott Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald's voice in this book or Nick Carraway's voice in the book is very lyrical. Right. I mean, it's all the whole uh, to me anyway, that's it, it felt that way. It was right. everything is very richly textured. I mean, he's paint. He paints these pictures of these lavish parties and describes them in this sumptuous um kind of sumptuous but melancholy detail and you'd think that that would potentially lead to a book where everything gets very drawn out and you get you kind of get wrapped up in the prose kind of like how i think we um i think i think actually telegraph avenue suffered from that at times um whereas this is Great lyrical Gatsby. but terse. It's so true. Exactly. God, it's incredible. It doesn't, oh, it drives me nuts. It's like nine right? words. Because yeah. for, for a book that is that lyrical and that mm-hmm. um, paint, sort of painterly with its prose – to be this compact, it's a very small mm-hmm. book. You read it in yeah. a sitting or two, you know. It's and good. It, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to say something. If those are the only words you spoke on the rest <laughs> of the podcast, that would be incredible. Yeah. So one thing, because we all uh, – Maybe, Nick, you have probably read it since high school, right? I have. Yeah, but the rest of us had not. And one of the the thing I have to say that um, was most surprising to me reading it again now was how, at least to me, is it how much Nick Carraway is a person. Uh, that wasn't what I was going to say, but I'll be. I, I wanted okay. to talk about that after this. What I was going to say was how much less omnipresent the symbolism, the the overt symbolism was. In my reading this time, I remember in high school, in high there was school, obsession about the green light and mm-hmm. the eyes and so that's on. American dream. I, that's, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's how you're taught a lot no, of high right. school English. Though. I know I mean, it is. But, yeah. but there Which I think is a really bad way to teach no, high school I, I do literature. Too. I agree. To teach literature in general. No, I agree. But I, yeah. but I specifically – because there were other books I read in high school. I read Vonnegut in high school and he became – you know, and on the back of that, I read every single novel Vonnegut ever wrote, right? Like it didn't – I didn't – specifically The Great Gatsby, I remember – we focused almost obsessively on the symbolism and I didn't find the symbolism onerous or, or on, or, or omnipresent in the same way when I read it this time, Mm -hmm. it's sort of just those, those little symbols were more, they felt almost like incidental details that would flesh out particular moments. Yeah, In fact, actually I, um, on the forums, Greg Brown disagrees. I know he does. And I thought that was interesting because I, I, you know, I think anyone who listens to this probably knows that's someone whose opinion we value. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think all, often we land in the same place he does. But he was definitely very – he found it to be very uh, burdensome and, and mm-hmm. kind of laborious. Um, and I, di- I didn't agree. Or almost just sort of uh, obvious to the point where it detracted from his enjoyment of the book. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, well, like almost rolling his eyes like, oh, yeah, of course. You can't go back in time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't feel that way. No. All right. Man. Well, and I feel like part of that is just the is the high school baggage too. I right, mean, you just you so obviously are staring at that stuff and going, "Well, that's what I learned before about this book." But it's I mean, like this and like To Kill a Mockingbird are probably yeah, books that have to just yeah. haul the American educational system on well, their back. Things like, like God like, damn it, the yeah. green the green light is a crazy 
thing too because in the um like the 70s film adaptation of the great gatsby mm-hmm. with man i don't even remember who's in it mia farrow robert, and, robert redford? and robert redford yeah, yeah. yeah like whenever that green light turns on there's like the little 70s discord <laughs> mm, ding <laughs> ding like it, it's just like oh, it yeah. drives the score of every time gatsby's outside and it's mm-hmm. just like okay there's a green light out there yeah. you're right we're good We've established that it exists. Yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic image, but oh it's, yeah, I mean, but it's still, it's you know, yeah. But it, I mean, it's. I don't think because it gets so double, triple, quadruple underlined as symbolism in an academic setting, mm-hmm. it strips it of its emotional impact for Gatsby and just for you as the reader, as an empathetic person, mm-hmm. we're just sort of seeing that light and pining for what's over there. Right. And having that just be a woman for a second. That doesn't have to be all the other stuff that, it, that, that object I mean, the is reading carrying. of the relationship is what I think, especially, you know, me reading it now, having gone through a couple of years where a lot of this stuff hits home more than it used to. And it was really interesting to see the depth that that has and to realize that I picked up on none of that when I was a kid. And maybe that's yeah. why they teach it that way. But, you well, know, so here's, here's a passage that it, it's not the green light, but it's the, Eyes of T.J. Eckelberg, which I also love. I yeah, have to admit, so I, good. I, I love it. And this is a passage to me that sums up the <clears throat> dichotomy between the high school overinterpretation of that and the uh, more sort of cavalier attitude towards it. it this is when uh, when George, the I guess he's a mechanic uh, or a car salesman or whatever he is. Um, he's a mechanic. Yeah, his wife has been has been killed. And, um, and he's saying, uh, I spoke to her. He muttered after a long silence. I told her she might fool me, but she couldn't fool God. I took her to the window with an effort. He got up and walked to the rear window and leaned with his face pressed against it. And I said, God knows what you've done. Everything you've been doing. You may fool me, but you can't fool God. Standing behind him, Michaela saw with a shock that he was looking at the eyes of Dr. TJ Eckelberg, which had just emerged pale and enormous from the dissolving night. God sees everything repeated Wilson. That's an advertisement, Michaelis assured him. Something made him turn away from the window and look back into the room. But Wilson stood there a long time, his face close to the window pane, nodding into the twilight. And I love that the, I love that it's the, as that passage begins, it's set up as just this dominating symbol. And then immediately one of the characters in the book just completely, that's an advertisement. And that to me sums up this entire, the entire notion of, of literary symbolism. I mean, to some people it's going to be, momentous and 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 all important and to some people it's going to be nothing and i love that that's right there in the text and i i think you know i think it's it's important not to obsess too much over over that stuff but also to still let your but to recognize this as literature it's created it's not you know i mean it's everything has some kind of meaning intended or not you know and it's it's fine to it's fine to explore that um but you know there's a balance there i mean i what i'm saying is fairly facile it's not I don't, it's kind of an obvious statement, but I, I, I loved that passage there because I love that for, I love that for Wilson, that is a symbol. I mean, to him, it is to him. It's reminding him of this incredibly, this just the most important tragic thing that's ever happened in his life. And, you know, he's going to see the eyes of God in those eyes. Of course he is like, how could he not? You know, I mean, it's, I, I just thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Well, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, this is a weird tangent, but I, I remember Gatsby being described as like a son of God at one point 
Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm trying to connect that in my brain right now to something in there. But, but there, is, there are, there are re- repeated themes here. And like one crazy one that stood out to me was the, just the wheels coming off the – how many car crashes there are in this damn book. Like right. there are car crashes all over the place. And literally like the wheels come <laughs> off in the beginning and then there's a literal car crash. And it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting that that stuff, you know. Well, I mean that's, that's – part of that is the kind of very, very plotty nature of it, right? Yeah. There's always something – Something's always a linchpin of some other thing. I mean, I think I really like me, that stuff, though. Yeah, well, well that stuff all really works to me. In concert. I, it worked in this novel for a, a few reasons. One of which is because it was a fairly short novel. Um, on the Slate Audio Book Club, actually, which I which is a great podcast that Sean and I listen to, the um, one of the uh, one of the contributors described this book almost as a, a parable. It almost felt like a parable, which I thought was a really interesting observation. And to me, the um, what it the the this the specific feeling I got from from the book, um, with the short length and with those swirling miasmatic party scenes where everything is sort of connected and not connected at all, um, it felt to me like this the entire arc of the book is one of those moments that you have in your life that is feels like a single moment that's been extended over a long period of time, you know, a year or more. That when you look back on it it almost feels like it existed in a different life yeah. than you had. You know, I mean, it might to be the sense of an ending uh, a bit, actually. Mm. I mean, you know, similar length and similar in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it, it does have that quality to it. And um, I mean, it's I, almost like a dream or a fairy tale yeah. or something, you know, yeah. like it almost, it almost makes sense that things are this it's the constructed and strange. And go, oh yeah, I was doing that. That did all that stuff yeah. didn't happen to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, but it, you almost wonder, you know I mean? And also, it's worth pointing out that this is a narrated book. I mean, it's mm-hmm. impossible to know how much of the actual telling is remembered literally and how much is Nick's distorted memories. Or not. I mean, I don't know if there's well, anything to that or not. Something that actually plays but, to that really nice. Like something, I don't know, but I think is used throughout really wonderfully is just the presence of alcohol and these sort of like these mm-hmm. drunken states and these sort of these never ending parties and yeah. mm-hmm. people trickling in and out of this house. almost like the doors, you almost, yeah, it almost feels like the yeah. door to Gatsby's mansion never actually closes or locks. Right. You know, um, up until the, obviously when nobody goes in or out ever again. And there's something about that. Like that's, I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you had a lot of emotional things going mm-hmm. on. You were like single. You were probably going out way more than usual. And that's sort of that swirling nature of all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. That's like, kind of what I was trying to get You know at what I mean? And the, it doesn't the, make it into like a metaphysical dream state, but it turns it into – it's it makes it less tangible. Yeah. yeah. You, no, know, you can't go grab it. You know? Yeah. Well, here. This, is, this, is, this passage I think speaks to that perfectly. This is on page uh, 48 um, and uh, Nick says – I was still with Jordan Baker. We were sitting at a table with a man about my age and a rowdy little girl who gave way upon the slightest provocation to uncontrollable laughter. I was enjoying myself now. I had taken two finger bowls of champagne and the scene had changed before my eyes into something significant, elemental and profound. I think that's wonderful, especially because he doesn't indicate in any way whatsoever what was significant, elemental or profound about it. He doesn't have any opinion. You know, that's uh, there are there are a lot of scenes like that where it'll end with just. I had an idea of how this would be, you know, yeah. some kind of monumental right. thing, but then I lost it. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that kind of, just, yeah. I think these things actually beg the question, is this a good book to read when you're in the 10th grade? I don't know. I don't think it is. I don't think it is at all. I think it's a really shitty novel to be, to give to a high schooler. Yeah. Like, is, 
I, I actually, think, I think I, you're doing them a disservice. I actually really enjoyed reading it in high school. Well, but I enjoyed it for a completely different reasons. Yeah. Or like, I mean, I just enjoyed but that, far that's less. That's going to be it. true of any good literature, though, right? Like, we have to. We have there's, to. No, there's stuff that I think as a, as a high school student is just impenetrable or completely oh, uninteresting. Well, sure. Whereas yeah, because yeah. Gatsby is as plot heavy as it is, and because the language is modern, I'm sure that's why it's still re- why it's I mean, read as opposed and, to like a Victorian novel. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. yeah. It just feels like one of those quintessential novels where there's a 35-year-old teacher in front of a bunch of 13- and 14-year-olds who are like, guys, this is great. you got to read this. I yeah. think it's just it's probably just, because it's a standard. I don't know, though. I mean, at one point you're picking – you have a – I mean, you must have a curricula and then say, these are the books we're going to read, these are the books we're not going to read. I think it's just – no matter where that's decided, I think it's a bad decision. I don't know. The more – I've been thinking about that for like well, yeah, I mean, The Great now. Gatsby, it, like it's a story about – It's a fucking like, waste. That part of your life <laughs> where you're a, just like – where you just – the window in your life that when you look back, you realize you were just awake more. I mean that like number wise, like literally this book seems like it's a story about a guy who just isn't asleep that often. And I feel like I'm an old person now, which I'm not, but there was the, mm. what? <laughs> like the sorts of feelings that, that, yeah, that are stirred up in Nick's yeah, life in the book. 30 during this book. They, yeah, they, they are like, they physically just the feelings and this, the type of like life where you're moving all over the place really, they remind me of a part a part of my life that was like my mid to late twenties, where I was just physically yep. awake more. Like I was, yeah. I slept less. There was, yeah. This was a really I spent less of life with my eyes closed. I I I I, I don't know. I, the amount that I saw myself in Gatsby and in Nick uh, was really strange because I I w- just went through that period of my life, and uh, it was really interesting. One thing I thought was also uh, interesting was the fact that Nick uh, was kind of inconsistent in the way that he. Um, Beginning of the novel, he 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 mentions that uh, you know Gatsby was. I don't really blame Gatsby. Is all the stuff that was caught up in his trail that you know was really the problem. Then he also judges him later yep. on, and, uh-huh. and you know, and he's Nick sort of very inconsistent, he's very inconsistent about great. whether or not he yeah. actually thinks that. Get- and I, I kind of feel like I don't, I don't know. My reading of that is just that F. Scott Fitzgerald. It, it almost feels like those two characters are sort of an amalgamation of maybe just his experience, and he. Hmm. They're almost like two different windows into his perspective, and maybe two different aspects of his life um i i don't know i see a lot of of him and gatsby in a weird way because and you know naturally i would think well he's he's sort of the nick character because that's kind of what his life was going to these crazy parties and sort of observing everything but in a weird way i, I don't know like if, if if have you guys ever read the crack up his his no. uh, his mm. editorial series in esquire that he wrote in the 40s Mm-mm. which was it's it's amazing it's it's basically just um him writing about how he feels like he's lost his talent and how he's just basically been driven insane by it. Um, and in a weird way, I, you know, reading this now and having read that you know, maybe a year or two ago and connecting that up and realizing that he kind of fell victim to the same Gatsby fallacy of trying to repeat his past because he yeah. just couldn't move forward from this novel. He literally thought that everything he wrote afterwards was just garbage. And he would, well, like, this write... book wasn't even that well received. It, was it? it wasn't. It, yeah. it was. I think it was moderately critically well received, but you know, financially, it didn't do what he thought it was going to do. He thought it was going to free him up for you know right. to be a novelist, and he had to go back to you know writing short stories and kind of eked out an existence. But I don't know. It was interesting having that kind of historical perspective and, and going, well, you know. It's sort of like a, a strange binary. Well, it's, espe- of his life. <laughs> it's especially interesting because you're ascribing traits that didn't occur until after this actual book was pu- you're I mean right. you're describing parts of his life that it almost, coalesced it felt like a foreshadowing of what, right yeah, yeah that's yeah. really interesting because he's mm-hmm. very he was very introspective yeah uh, you know his writing was always you know what am I doing right now and it, yeah. it felt like well, well but anyway have you guys ever read the sun also rises uh yes so 
that book and this book like somehow sync up mm. in like a very similar way to me based on what you're like that sort of that that, yeah. that that sort of self-exploration yeah also sort of foreshadowing things that are to come in the mm-hmm. author's life and i think hemingway's is much more controlled yeah but those guys were contemporaries experiencing very like well they wrote letters to each other right and had the like it's I mean, so peculiar to me yeah. when I, you can kind of read those books back to back and you know if you have time maybe you should and not that i have but i read that book like two years ago and yeah. i love that book because it's the same sort of just people colliding with each other and there's a mix of drink and love and all these things yeah but they have two such different experiences but the books have like a nice like i don't know center i don't know where i was going with that necessarily no but, but, no it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 interesting i mean and people should read their letters too i mean they're they're fascinating i mean it's, it's hemingway just you know Ah, shut up! <laughs> You're still a good writer. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what you need like, to do is go shoot a bear. Yeah, or shoot something. a bear, Be a man. Like, yeah. what's your problem? Like, it's that's like every. Like, fantastic. Dear Ernest, I think I think I'm done. I think I'm giving up. This first sentence or next line. Yeah. Have you ever killed a lion? <laughs> <laughs> that's what they are. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I want to go back to Jake. You in, indicated you had something to say about Nick as a character. Oh, um. I don't know exactly how to articulate it. Nick Brecken is a character. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, when I was reading the book, all that I could think about was Nick Brecken. No. Just, I mean, going back to reading it in high school and enjoying it, like, I remember, like, a good friend of mine and I both thought, like, oh, Tom Buchanan's a hilarious character, a guy stuck in high school or whatever. But, like, I almost, my take, uh, and, like, oh, Gatsby, you know, what a what a weird whatever. But my take on Nick Carraway when I read the book the first time when I was a teenager was basically... I didn't catch on to the fact that he was an unreliable narrator. I didn't really catch on to the fact that there was any personality because I think I just basically took him as a character as just the, the guy um, who was um, there to tell me the plot. Person, generic like, narrator. Right. Yeah, yeah, you were just here to yep. tell me the events of the story. And reading it now, like just from from <laughs> the amazing opening lines uh, through just like through again like the 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 way that the the way that Tom Buchanan is first presented through his eyes and also mm. just through. And just the choices that I guess obviously uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, but through him, chooses to omit versus not. Like I don't, I didn't remember just the window into that guy's life where he just he just talks about when he goes to work and like he's in other relationships over the course of the story that just like but they're completely minimized. But they're just completely yeah. minimized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also then over the course of the book, the notion that he really is complicit in all of this stuff. But when he's telling you the story, he's like. But I'm really it's like as if, the, right, the story yeah. that he's telling you is it's my read in high school. More than a fly on the he, wall. Yeah, but like, in reality, he's right in the middle. Of the I basically room just took him at face value. Yeah, that he was not really complicit, and that he was just this innocent bystander. But he's like romantically involved, obviously across mm. the entire cast. He's doing weird like setups for Gatsby, like it's mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also just silence. He just doesn't speak up at times right. when you know it's it's just. It painted such a clear person to me also, that it was just I was just bowled over by it. Really, he also Incredibly. opens within the first couple sentences of the book says something like, "I made my best effort always to reserve judgment or whatever." Yeah. I can't remember yeah. the word, but it's like, yeah. which is not the case, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, he does. He does say right after that though that I've given up on that. Basically. That's true. You're right. Yeah. He, you're he right. clarifies right. it. He you're goes, right. "Well, you know, I tried to do that for a while, but, but it's, isn't it's that pretty op- futile." Those opening par- pages, though, isn't that isn't the target of his judgmental ire Gatsby though? It's it's and it not. Doesn't he end actually that goes. Way. He goes. It's, it's pretty, he's pretty like, all right. Is what he is basically what right, he says. Right, 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 right. You know, I mean, he, he yeah, but he's pretty all right. But then later, he's oh god, I, I underlined it in the book, but it'll take me forever to find it. But he's, he 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 comes down pretty hard on him. 
Um, and then he comes back around. Right. And, and he, then he's, he's just trying of, to gin up people to go to the guy's funeral. Basically. Funeral. Yeah. 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 I thought that was awesome. Well, that was it. That was. That what did you guys, what did you guys think about the idea that absolutely nobody except for the one, the one, you know, Nick obviously and then the one guy and his, and Gatsby's father showed up for the funeral. I mean, what did you make of that? I found that one of the strangest things in the entire book. That, that part, I have to admit, rang a little bit false to me, but I it don't... It does, yeah, I think it, it rings melodramatic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. What? God, we had something like well, this. I mean, we had something like know. this in the I, last book we were talking about. We're just sort of because, like, yeah, you know, and like, yeah, there's always that one thing. Uh, melodramatic because it's unbelievable? Because, I mean... Just was, sort of these images of just a casket going... Not that these are images in the book, but when you right. think of a solitary funeral, just a yeah. casket quietly yeah. going under the ground, and, like, the last paragraph, like, it, the ends well, the of paragraph on somebody calling him a son of a bitch. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> the ends of... It is... It is yeah. Well, it the is. weather was described as poor, wasn't yeah, it? it's it raining. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, it's... it is. Yeah, somebody yeah. said amen, and then as they're walking away, they're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> it's like, whoa! Yeah. Yeah, that stuff felt a little... I see... I see the Greg Brown eye roll... In that sure. section, yeah. sure, yeah. but it went on a while. I don't yeah. know. For, I don't mind forgiving that stuff when it's his book. No, nor I. I mean, I thought this was him. a really beautiful book. I get into the building to that. One know? of the one of the main criticisms I saw of this book amongst our uh, our community um, was that it seemed like basically rich people problems. The book, and that that's something I kind of take issue with. Mm. I think because to me, the the book is in large part about how tragic and sad these figures are yeah I mean, it's not yeah. i i think it's i i don't know i think it's i think it's a mistake to simply dismiss mm-hmm. that you know i i i think one of the interesting things about it is saying these people don't have it figured out by any means no. i mean the 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 whole concept of something of describing this as kind of rich people problems or white people problems or what have you suggests to me an implication that oh well if you have a bunch of money shouldn't you just always be happy all like why would right. anything why would these things or it suggests righteousness upon one of the characters in the book that like somebody uh you know we're supposed to feel bad like you as a as a reader are supposed to feel pity not empathy but like pity for mm-hmm. one of the characters like oh god poor gatsby he had it so bad you know, and like right, and I don't think that's the I don't think that's necessarily. I, I the have bigger with. issues with that in movies a lot times because mm-hmm. they so very especially like mass market films have to have this sort of like core protagonist who you're rooting for, right? So like, like I think you can you could I've always I don't know maybe I would go back on this, but I remember prescribing. I remember having that same criticism of American Beauty, of a movie that sort mm-hmm. of felt like mm-hmm. I'm so sick of like suburban problems like brought to like this life or death situation and everything's just so bad in suburbia. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think you're meant to root for certain characters in that book. I mean, in that movie yeah, in a way that you're not, I don't think of Scott Fitzgerald wants you to root for anybody necessarily in this book, as opposed to just experience them as characters and have empathy and feel the various things that these characters can feel right in their emotional breath. So I don't know. I don't really buy it. I think you like, again, just to reiterate, I think to, to level that criticism, I think you have to, the book has to be trying to... You have to be assuming more intent than might I yeah. mean, be worth, worthwhile. And in some ways, I feel like... I mean, it is, a, it is a... A lot of the machinations are about money. You know, they revolve around money. But I feel like in some ways, they're they're more... It feels like a standard for a more universal thing. Like, I mean, for instance, when Daisy... You, you know, he describes Daisy as having, like, the sound of money in her voice you know, at that key moment when she more or less decides that Gatsby's, mm-hmm. you know, that she's not going with Gatsby. Um, and I feel like, you know, my reading of that isn't that, oh, it's, it's about money. It's more just what, 
what he decided he needed to do to attain her, you know, and, right. and that what that drove him to do and like the striving for that goal was just such a, a you know, a nonstop, right. you know, madness inducing thing in him. And, and the fact that it was about money for her specifically doesn't matter to me as much as the. Well, I mean, well, as the actual, and also that 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 activism. is just that that sentence, like the sound of money in her voice is used as a weapon yeah, in that moment. You right. know, he's using it to level criticism at her right. and to, to judge her. Yeah, it's a very judgmental phrase. And I think yeah. like if anything, you know, it's. Mo money, mo problems. Anybody can listen to that song. <laughs> like that, that's everybody, right. white or black. Also, <laughs> speaking of which, do you know Jay Z is doing the music for the? I yes. saw that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what to make of that. But the um, the uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm really, I'm really stoked. <laughs> the thing that the thing that to me felt much, much, much more present as a force in this book than money, because money in this book is essentially a, a given, right? Other than right. other than Nick and other than Wilson, I guess. I mean. Pretty much all of the major characters in this book have all the money they could reasonably need, right? Well, we even, assume, even Nick, even seems, Nick is fine. he's yeah. fine. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. the thing, the actual force that to me was the more sinister and 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 pervasive one was class in this book. I mean, just the notion that yeah. there's still, regard, regardless of the fact that Gatsby has more money than any of these, any of these other people, presumably, or it seems he certainly acts as if he does. Um, there is some weird arbitrary force that just divides him from them. I mean, that to me felt really present when Daisy was, you know, when the when it came down to it. Well, like Daisy and, Daisy and Tom have they had never even really been aware of the fact that he was there, or that he even had anything going on. Whereas for everyone on the other side of that divide, yeah, culturally, Gatsby was the dude, right? right? Like, yeah, and I, I mean, just the the old money versus new money to me, um was a was kind of a terrifying yeah. dichotomy for me over the course of the book. I found it very it, very strange. You know, I mean, especially because um, that, you know, I mean, class divisions remain in our society now. I mean, class division, if anything, is is as bad as it ever has been. Yeah. You know, if you look at actual income disparity, it's a it's a it's different. I mean, it's a, it's it's manifested in a very different way um, because we're less things like um, oh, yeah. old families are are a lot less. Um, significant and noticeable in today's society, but uh, I, f- I found those divisions really fascinating. A really mm-hmm. interesting part of the book. I know daisies; they still exist. Yeah, no. I, well, and especially in especially in New York. I mean, that's oh. more than anywhere. I mean, I um, what it, you see those things are, are are still visible if you are if you go to if you visit Manhattan and there are you'll stumble into just sort of pockets yeah. of area. I mean, it's easy now to. To, to, it's easier now to figure, learn about this stuff than it ever has been because every, we, we all have phones in our pocket with the internet and you'll stumble upon a memorial or something, right? Erected by or for some fam, some the noted whatever family of wherever and you'll read about it and you just plug it into your phone, look it up on the internet and this is still a family that participates in capital S society in mm-hmm. Manhattan and they still have the, the, um, the ball, the, what do they call them? The, um, debutante balls and there's still it's very strange but all this this stuff still exists it's very weird to me but it's there um i don't i'm getting pretty far afield here but uh i I just this book caused me to reflect on uh, archaic notions of class a lot and Mm -hmm. that that to me was more interesting than just the money part of it so i was going to ask a question that was on the forums but i know the answer already but i'll ask it anyway just to give credit to the Mm -hmm. the reader um 
Sarah Argadale wanted to know or asked the posited the question: Is this book still? Is this book capable of being the American great American novel that mm. it is heralded as? I think that exact kind of question is one of the things that causes discussion about this book to go in a bad direction. You know, I mean, I think, I think looking. Because Jay Z thinks so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think as soon as as soon as you start evaluating a book under that criteria, you're it's like a lo- it's a loaded question, right? You start. I mean, well, what you're actually end up arguing is just can we agree on a mutual definition of what the criteria for the great American novel is? Not right. does this book fit it? And that's right. just you end up going yeah. off into space immediately. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Well, we should publish the Idle Book Club criteria of what a great American <laughs> novel is. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably The Great Gatsby. Probably. Oh, yeah. this was, month. Was Great American Novel named after The Great Gatsby? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, it's the best that he's Francis Scott F- Key Fitzgerald. Oh, is he? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, the, I mean, by the transitive property of Francis Scott Key, this is definitely the great American novel. Yeah. What? <laughs> I don't know. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's safe to say we all, all the powers imbued book. in that name. Yeah. 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 All right. Are we gonna, this is like a, are, we, are we pittering out here? Is this, this a short one where we all really like the book and aren't going to get in a big fight over anything? God, we got to read a book where we fight. Yeah, I want to fight. I was you expecting someone out to like it. Tooth and nail. I was ready to fight. I, I wanted ready to. to fight. I had my, uh, you know. What did you guys think of Meyer Wolfstein? I know that's that's a very just vague question. I found <laughs> I found that guy a, a weird presence in this book. I think it's a. Re- I think he's a really weird presence, and I also think um, I th- because of his. Uh, like his cultural standing yeah it i don't think you could put that character in a novel today no i think yeah, it'd be it definitely does. it's like, it's <laughs> like <laughs> the shylock problem right? yeah where you oh have this God, character yeah. yeah this character that's defined by the jewishness but you, through such like and there's, 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 like, it's so funny because yeah. like yeah. there's so much of the novel that because like well tom buchanan goes on that that tirade is like, the next thing we know like blacks and whites will be marrying you know right. he has that well i thought tirade. that stuff was really interesting yeah, because, that stuff was fu- because nick kind of stay keeps a distance well even daisy's that, just kind of know? like come on yeah <laughs> yeah you know yeah. there's a moment but it i really felt like- i really I, I actually really liked the way tom was portrayed in that way because it felt very honest to what someone in, of his class and standing a male of his class and standing yeah. would have these also, very the way that his dialogue was written. It sounded like he hadn't ever actually thought about it, but just it was just yeah. A, yeah. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, that's it. what the problem someone is. Like, gave, <laughs> someone gave him a book, right? And he yeah. reads it, and he and as and he, then he's like, just, yeah, you can imagine yeah. him exactly yeah. as he's reading it, sort of getting caught up yeah. in this in this elaborate argument. There's a description yeah. of blaming the world. Exactly that. I mean, it's like as if he just thought of it at the time. Yeah, it's fantastic. That whole first encounter with Tom Buchanan is hilarious. Good when he's just like spinning Nick around, making him look at all the stuff yeah. in his house yeah. so look at my stable good. what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see a lot of guys uh, turn garages into yeah. stables yeah. <laughs> yeah or no stables into garages never yeah. seen garages into stables <laughs> where's your stable <laughs> i think they actually had can we go look at the stable yeah. and things yeah. are going sideways but the point to get back to your point meyer wolfsheim, yeah. meyer Wolfs- meyer's i can't ever say his name wolfsheim? meyer wolfsheim or wolfsheim? Wolfsheim? Yeah. Yeah. Wolfsheim, yeah. yeah that's just a bigoted character <laughs> like that's just well, a bigoted portray I, you he, know what i mean it's yeah. just sort of like yeah. the other the other reason i, I bring him up is because he, I mean, he's the the kind of nexus of what is overtly sinister about Gatsby as a character. You know, right, I mean, right. so much of Gatsby's entire goal and in the way he conducts himself 
is to cloak his past and himself mm-hmm. in just the vagaries of wealth and right. hospita- hospitality and and you know and the moments the the moments where that's kind of gets punctured a bit by right, by time and then yeah. when the when Nick receives the phone call from the guy who starts telling him about the guy who got AKA pinched the best. or whatever yeah that was an ama- I found that <laughs> yeah. seemed to be amazing um Gatsby's dead but you need Click. to have Nick have those couple of moments where he's just like what yeah you know. yeah but yeah. unfortunately the root of that dark side of yeah, Gatsby that, is this Shylock character that right. you could never get away with today unless no. you were Quentin Tarantino weird and things about that character yeah. which were in the back of my sweet high school copy of the book Mm-hmm. He's based on a historical figure. Yeah, the guy who who Fitzgerald met, and this guy is also like known crazy, like weird, whatever, like racketeer guy. Also potentially known for maybe being for responsible for reading the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. Like, an actual, there was yeah, a direct. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but there was an actual Jewish gangster or Jewish gambler slash gangster who was. This was like Arnold Arnold Rothstein. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's exactly. Yeah, yep, yep. known as the known as the brain and the bankroll best uh, <laughs> yeah fixing sporting events yeah dealing stolen bonds and also the world series victim of an unsolved murder in 1928 anyway yeah don't you think don't you think Fitzgerald sort of pushed him yeah yeah, yeah. i mean he's like yeah that it's a weird guy weird character the last thing he does is go yeah i can't go to the funeral but can you get my shoes for me i'll send somebody over <laughs> I don't know. That was. I thought that character was pushed. Like, I feel like in, in a modern day use, like in a, if you were to write this novel today, that character would be different. Yeah, in a lot of different. No, ways. for sure. And that's. I mean, that's a that's a particularly valid observation. I think because so much of this book wouldn't be different, or at least, or at least mm-hmm. could stand to not be. Yeah, even if you it know, was a lot of this could be translated time. to now, and you could write a lot of these characters similarly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was one of the things I, I that was so beautiful about it to me was just that even though I can't necessarily relate to these people on a direct level in terms of of what my the actual the trappings of my life or in any real way the the underlying emotional core of these characters felt incredibly real and. Um, present to me mm-hmm. you know i mean that's the that's ultimately why this book works for me i didn't i it wasn't just a bunch of rich people being frivolous i mean it, it is that also but what's going on underneath that frivolity to me was believable and tragic and and kind of beautiful in a really sad way i'll sum it up yeah go ahead i got a reading sure <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> no this is good this relates back to what we were talking about the light so there's, uh, this is when Gatsby and, uh, and Daisy are, uh, I guess, first meeting, um, for, you know, for the, after, after they... I mean, when they're there. reacquainted. Yeah, when they're reacquainted. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't for the mist, we could see her home across the base at Gatsby. You always have the green light that burns all night at the end of your dock. Daisy put her arm around him, his, his abruptly, but he seemed absorbed in what he had just said. Possibly it occurred to him that the colossal significance of that light had now vanished forever. Which I think is amazing. So, like, basically, he's throwing out the metaphor the second that 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 romance is coming into it, which is basically the essence of Gatsby's character. Which, beginning of the novel, I just read. Um, you know, this is when uh, Nick is is talking about Gatsby, summing him up on page two, and he goes, um, "This responsiveness had nothing to do with that flabby impression impressionability, which is dignified under the name of creative temperament." 
It was an extraordinary gift for hope, a romantic readiness, such as I've never found another person and which is not likely I shall ever find again. And then he goes on to praise Gatsby. And I think I think that's basically, you know, the redeeming quality of Gatsby is that he was just a romantic. And that cuts through all of the the other, you know, metaphorical bullshit, which is, you know, I think great, which is why I love the book. You know, I mean, it's not about it's not about that metaphor stuff. Really, it's about this guy who was just a romantic and got caught up in all this crazy garbage and then went too far. And yeah, it's good. It's a great book. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think we all agree. It's a great book. Did you just mouth on an even greater Gatsby? I might have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that, we will leave you. Um, next month, we are – this month, we are reading The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. I don't think I don't think any of us have read Pynchon, which is – I think nope. yeah. the no. reason are we're we reading this is because it's a big oh, hole, I think, in our literary – Crying Lot is great. Oh, you've read it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe maybe Nick Brecken will fly back. Yeah, next, we'll next put him on the thumbs jet. Yeah. 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 Sure. All right. All right. Um, thanks for listening. You can write us at books at idlethumbs.net and uh, have fun reading Pynchon. Or find us on the forums. Yeah. Forums, forums.idlethumbs.net. And we'll talk to you guys next month. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Books. That's it for this month. Join us again next time on the Idle Book Club when we will be discussing The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon.